John chapter 1, I want you to notice again that no less than seven times in just nine verses you will see the word light. It's either the word light or lighteth. And of course in verses 7, 8, and 9 you'll notice the word is capitalized. Verse 7 says, the same came for witness to bear witness of the light, capitalized, that all men through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light, capitalized, that was, here it is, the true light, the true light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. Now folks, think about that. The light of Christ that came at Bethlehem cast its hue, the scripture says, on every man. Everybody that cometh into this world. Well, that's great, Pastor. That means that all men now are enlightened and everybody undoubtedly, therefore, will be saved. Well, actually, the very next verse says, verse 10, He was in the world and the world was made by Him and the world knew Him not. He came, this light, came unto His own and His own received Him not. In other words, not everybody comes to the light. Now, if you look up on this platform and all around here this morning, you're going to see all kinds of lights. It's a reminder that at the darkest time of the year, Wednesday night was the darkest, shortest day, of course. This darkest time of the year, the birth of Christ, is noted for lights. In John, 1 John chapter 2 and verse 8, there's an interesting statement. It says this, quote, the darkness is past and the true light now shineth. The true light. That is, not these lights, not the light you went to see last night or tonight. The light of the world, the one who said, let there be light and there was light. He is the word. The word spoke and gave us the light. And guess what the word Jesus did the creator? Verse 14, and the word was made flesh and dwelled among us, and we beheld His glory. Now look, I'm going to be brief this morning, but I want you to hear this. I don't know if you've been over the North Palm Beach Heights, for example, where we used to live for 14 years. Checked out all the lights of the season. Every year it seems like it grows, and it grows. The lights on Barber Street used to be the first with their hoops and Now it's just about everybody, and I'm not advertising for you to go over there because there are already traffic jams. Just go on Michael Street where the Ingstroms live. They would love that. Free hot chocolate. Go there tonight. In fact, I encourage everybody here. Bring your neighbors and your friends. I remember in January, the for sale signs went up because these were people who couldn't handle the pressure and just wanted to get out of there. They didn't like the lights. Every year at this time, when I see these lights and these displays, I'm reminded of this text. It is a text that tells us that there is a true light. Now, obviously, folks, if there is a true light, there must also be some false lights. And, of course, the Bible tells us explicitly that Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. You know, it's fascinating to me that in a season, at a time of year, when presumably people are remembering the birth of God's Son, There's nothing really more prominent. There's nothing more symbolic, more recognizable than what we call Christmas lights. Whether it's candles, stars, lights on trees, candlelight services, or lights attached to PVC pipes in the heights. Whatever the context. 
For many people, December would never be December. We saw the missionary videos from four different countries this morning, and behind every one of them, there were Christmas lights. I remind you, that's the way it was even when Jesus was a boy. In John chapter 8, the Lord Jesus attended up in Jerusalem the festival or the Feast of Lights. That is the very same celebration today known as Hanukkah. The Lord Jesus went up, the Bible says, and Hanukkah ends tomorrow night. He went up there in John chapter 8, and guess what he said to all the people there? He said, I am the light of the world. You see these lights you're celebrating from the menorah? I am the light of the world. And yet here's the dilemma. If the light of the world, the true light, lighteth every man that cometh into the world, how is it then that the very ones who were the closest to the light in the first century, those who were called his own even, how is it that most of them completely and utterly missed that light? How is it today? So many millions of millions of people will let this Christmas come, and they'll let it go, and some in this room, and they will still remain in spiritual darkness. I'll remind you of something we noted a few weeks ago in the book of Acts. Great things can be happening around you without great things happening to you. So how is it? How do people miss out on the light of the world? Well, as we noted from verse 9, if Jesus is the true light, there's obviously a false light. There is an untrue light as well. And sure enough, that is precisely what this text is all about remind you that the light of the world came for one reason. Verse 12, look at it. As many as received him, he is the light of the world. To them gave he power to become the sons of God. Even to them that believe on his name. There's the power of the true light. But wait a minute. What's the false light? True light, then what's the false light? He names it. Look at verse 13, which were born. Not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Now follow this carefully. He says that there are those who came to the light and they were born again. They were born, three things, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man. In other words, hear this carefully. When it comes to spiritual birth, When it comes to a relationship with God and eternity and life itself, notice that God essentially opens the discussion by saying not, by saying no. He says, no, you are not a child of God because of this. And no, you're not born again. You're not a child of God because of that. And no, you're not going to see the kingdom of God by this either. It's just no, no, and no. Which, by the way, illustrates an extremely important spiritual issue today. You see, everybody in this room recognizes and uses and believes and values that word, right? Everybody values the word no. The world declares, in fact, that you have a right to say no. For instance, what decent parent says yes to every single thing a toddler wants? A little three-year-old wants to grab an electrical wire, and mom says, no. Daddy, I want to eat the entire box of candy canes. And he says, no. Can I kick my little brother, mommy? No, Rick, you can't kick your little brother. 
<clears throat> and of course, this is not an ethic, it's not a right that applies just to children. You want to drive your car 120 miles an hour in a, in a school zone, you will be told no. You insist that one plus one equals five, and if you flap your arms like a bird, you can fly, the whole world will tell you no. Pastor, can the, I want the Miami Dolphins in the Super Bowl. No. <laughs> For 40 years, it's been no, 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 no. Not this year, though, amen? Not this year. And the thing is, it doesn't matter if you want or how you feel or if you're sincere or how much you, you yearn for this thing. If no's a no, it's a no. When I go to Walmart and grab a cart and I want it to go right and it wants to go left, it's just no, no, constantly no. <laughs> it's a word of truth. Which goes back again to what we said about an extremely important spiritual issue. Because you see, folks, as much as we all recognize and as much as we all understand the duty and the right and the responsibility to use the word no, there are a lot of people in our society today, and some perhaps in this room believe it, who insist that God doesn't have that right. That the Creator Himself, someone says, well, this is how I'm going to heaven, and God says, no, no. And instantly they protest, no, whoa, whoa, whoa. my God wouldn't say no. My God is a loving God. My God would never. No fair God, and so it goes with the words of man. But thankfully this morning we have the words and the word of God. And you know, with these three specific issues regarding eternal life and how to be saved, how to be born again, he says, no to highlight the light of the yes. I want to remind you that just two chapters after this, in John chapter 3, it was the Lord Jesus Christ who told this late night visitor of his, Nicodemus, you must be born again. Nicodemus was a priest, a Pharisee high in the priesthood, a ruler, a teacher. He was respected and wealthy and prominent and very, very religious. And yet he was admonished by Christ, ye must be born again. If you're not born again, Nicodemus, you will not see the kingdom of God. So whatever he was and whatever he was doing to see the kingdom of God, it wasn't acceptable. And it wasn't right. And it wasn't true. It was just no. Nicodemus was the living, walking, breathing personification of the three no's you're going to see in verse 13. The first one. Verse 13, look at it. Of course, verse 12 says, As many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe in his name. Here's the first one, verse 13, which were born not of blood. What does that mean, Pastor? These people were born again, but he says they were born again, but not by blood. That means this, no person, no man, no woman, no child, no one, no one in this room, no one in history has ever been born again because of his natural human inheritance. No bloodline, no matter how noble or religious or honorable, has any effect on whether or not you're a child of God today. I have a great-grandfather buried in West Virginia in all of his adult life. He was a circuit-riding Baptist preacher. Up in those hills, saw lots of people saved. 
Gave his life to the ministry, served God with his heart. But you know something? All of that service to God does and did nothing for me. I did not inherit any spiritual birth because of that. God has no grandchildren. Only children. And if you're here this morning and you think, well, you know, I come from a very religious family. I've got relatives and I've got loved ones who are in the ministry and I grew up in a Christian home and religion has always, always run in my family. Can I tell you something? Religion may indeed have run in your family. And religion may indeed have been passed on to you. But when it comes to salvation and the forgiveness of sins and true Christianity, you must be born again. And God says that those who are born again are born not of blood. It doesn't matter if you're Jewish or Gentile or American or Russian, Latino, Oriental, African, you must be born again. David was a man after God's own heart, but his son Absalom was not. Adam walked with God in the cool of the day, but his son Cain did not. Why? Because the main thing that Cain inherited from his father is the same thing that you and I have inherited, and that is a sin nature. And so it is that the Word of God says that children of God are born not of blood. But that's not all. Verse 13, you'll notice it again. Which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh. Pastor, what's that mean? Well, folks, that means that no amount of self-determination or human effort, no energy on your part, no amount of human effort can ever make somebody into a child of God. Brother Alvin down here, Wooster, suppose this morning you decided in your heart that you wanted to be, you're tired of being a Wooster from Illinois. You're tired of being just another American commoner in this society and you wanted to be an, a blue blood. You want to live on Jupiter Island. Long line of wealthy DuPonts and Heinz family. You've been to Jupiter Island, probably dug a well over there. There's a lot of old money over there. So in an effort to be a part of the, you know, the high society over there, the Jupiter Island crowd, you take out a loan and you rent a, a Range Rover or whatever and you buy some estate jewelry and you go knock on Tiger's door and you ask for some Sunday morning mimosas. Actually, that would be Ruth that would ask for the mimosas. But anyway, <laughs> so you play the role. Does any of that external effort change who you really are? Does it ever get you a seat at the table? The Double Days and the Fords and the Woosters? No. So why is it then that people think that the new birth, which makes one a child of the living God, is simply and somehow attained through the will of the flesh? You know what I mean? Turning over a new leaf, joining a church, giving money to worthy causes. You have less power this morning of making yourself into a Christian than I have of making myself the King of England. You must be born again. And you are not born, God says, by the will of the flesh, nor by the chance of inheritance. That's not all. Third thing. The third false light and why people are not born again is also in verse 13. Which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will 
of man. Now, hear me carefully because, folks, what God is saying here is this, that no man, no person on this earth, no human being, regardless of how powerful they are or how holy they are, how eloquent, no mediator, nobody can do anything to you. Nobody can do anything to you to bring about a new birth inside of you. In other words, look, we're going to baptize again soon. No confirmation, no anointing all, no laying on of hands, no vote by a church board or a presbytery, nothing that any man or any group of men can do will ever make another person into a child of God. If you were bored a plane this afternoon, travel to the Holy Land itself, and Pope Francis meets you there and takes you to the Jordan River, and he baptizes you seven times. And you come out of the water and Benny Hinn breathes all over you. And the Dalai Lama blesses you. And Joyce Meyer anoints you. And Pastor Blaylock hugs you. <laughs> and after all of that, you take communion from the resurrected bodies of Peter, James, and John. I'm going to tell you this right now. It would not make you any more a child of the living God, than finishing the crossword puzzle in today's paper. It wouldn't bring you that much closer to Christ, to being his child. Look, I'm a pastor. I'm a minister of the gospel. I was called to preach in January of 1971. And I was ordained in May of 1980. And I love this book. And I love people. But I'm going to tell you this. There's absolutely nothing that I can do to make somebody, anybody else into a child of God. Paul said, I wish, I wish myself accursed for my people. He wished that he could be, but he couldn't. All the wishes in the world could not make someone become a child of God. Jesus said it, you must be born again. And you are born not by the will of man. If everybody in America took a vote and our entire nation voted 100% that you were a child of God, unanimous, that vote would have zero effect on your spiritual condition. If Elon and Zuckerberg and Bezos and Bill Gates and Buffett all gave their entire fortunes, just gave up, they all became paupers, and now you're a trillionaire over, many times over. If they did that to confirm on you some spiritual status, it wouldn't increase your spiritual status one billionth of an inch. It wouldn't bring you any closer to being a child of the living God. And here's why. It's because God says no. There's a true light and there are false lights. God is the one who says that to be a child of God, you have to be born but not of these things. Born of what? Verse 13. Which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Now, wait a minute. Born of God? How does that happen? How can I be born of God, Pastor? Well, he just said that. He just said that in verse 12. As many as received him, Jesus, the light, to them 
gave ye power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. There are two words in that one verse that are repeated over and over and over again in the Gospel of John, yea, in all the Gospels and the Epistles. They are the words that receive and believe. How is a person born again into the family of God? God grants that power to anyone, any sinner who believes and receives the Son of God. In chapter 3, I want you to turn it two pages ahead, would you? And we're going to close. Everybody knows John chapter 3, I'm sure. This is where he saw Nicodemus. Most of you know verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's the one everybody's familiar with. But I want you to notice the last verse of that chapter. Verse 36. He... That believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life. There's a no. But the wrath of God abideth on him. Pastor, I just want to go to John 3.16. I just want God so loved the world. Can I remind you something? In that same verse, there's the word perish. Should not perish. Even the one great verse on the love of God reminds us that without coming through Jesus, we will perish. You young people in this room who've grown up in Christian homes, I'm going to remind you that you cannot count on your parents' salvation to suffice for your salvation. You cannot expect that their new birth will be passed on to you. No, no, it's not of blood, it is not of the will of the flesh. It is not of the will of man. To be born again, you must believe and you must receive your own self. All you folks in here who are very religious, you're watching right now, you're religious. Maybe you're church members. Maybe you're members of this church, Beacon Baptist Church. Maybe you look back to when you were baptized or some such thing, sacraments or, or good deeds. Can I remind you? That all of God's children, 100% of them, were born into God's family. Born spiritually because of God, by faith in Jesus Christ. They are all born again. Nobody who's born again is born of royal blood or of the flesh or the will of man. But anybody who's listening to me right now can be born of God. You know, 1809 was a year of great turmoil. Napoleon was sweeping through Europe and many of the nations were soaked in blood. For certain, nobody paid attention to who was being born during that year. The whole world was full of turmoil. And yet in 1809, William Gladstone was born. Alfred Lloyd Tennyson was born. Oliver Wendell Holmes. Edgar Allan Poe. Charles Darwin. And of course, in a cabin in Hardin County, Kentucky, a little boy named Abraham Lincoln was born. Great writers, great poets, statesmen, leaders, but not one of them was the true light. The true light was born at Bethlehem and lived and died for your sins. There's only one question. Have you been born again? 
Have you believed? Now, I'm going to tell you this. If you're still clinging on to religion over here, or good works, or you're a good person, or your parents were good people, if you're clinging on to some religion and then say, well, I also want to believe, that's not going to cut it. You have to let go of you and receive Jesus Christ, God's Son and Savior. And God's people said, let's bow our heads, shall we? We're going to sing in just a moment a hymn of invitation. We do it every week here at our church. But before we do that, I want to ask you a question. How many of you say, Pastor Blaylock, I'm saved today. I'm born again by God's grace, but I needed, I needed to be here today. I needed this reminder, this message, that salvation is of the Lord. You know, folks, this is a simple message. If you're a Christian, you have the privilege and the responsibility to take it out there, to tell people, believe and receive, believe and receive. Tell them who to believe and receive, the true light. There's a lot of false lights. Jesus said there's a broad road that leads to destruction. That's a lot of false lights. He said there's one narrow road that leads to life eternal. That's Jesus, faith in him. Pastor, I'm saved, but I need this reminder today. Who would say that as Christians? Would you lift your hands through the building and amen? So many. Yes. For those of you who are not sure, Pastor Blaylock, I'm not sure that I've believed and received in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. I'm not sure that I've been born again. I won't come to you. I won't embarrass you. We had many hands raised last week, but we would love to pray. Pastor, that's me. I'm not sure that if I died today, I'd be in heaven. The word perish in John 3.16 might apply to me. The wrath of God may be abiding on me because I don't know that I've ever been born again. With every head bowed and every eyes closed, who would just say, Pastor, that's me? Would you pray for me? Would you lift your hand right where you are? Amen. God bless you. Someone else? Hold it up until I see it on my right. God bless you. We're going to pray in a moment and have a time of invitation. If God has spoken to your heart, obey his voice, won't you? Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Thank you that we are reminded every time we see lights this season of the true light which lighteth every man that cometh into this world. The, cat, the hue of the light of Christ has been cast all over this world. But I pray for those in this room, Lord, and those listening now by live stream who have never believed and received Jesus. May they be convicted that they are sinners and that they must be born again. Bless the invitation, please, in Jesus' name. Amen. On behalf of everyone at Beacon Baptist Church, we thank you for joining us today. Our prayer is that your heart and life has been impacted through the biblical truths of this message. If you have questions or would like more information, please contact us through our website at beaconbaptistchurch.org. That's beaconbaptistchurch.org. May the Lord bless you.